I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Anna Weber has worked hard to establish herself as an elevating force in the rarefied world at the intersection of creative jazz and new music. An accomplished composer whose first mission was to develop her potential as an instrumentalist, she's stopping by our fair city while on the road with her evocatively named Shimmer Wince Quintet. My guest tonight on the show is Anna Weber, who will be in town with her quintet at Cafe Coda on April 7th on their Shimmer Wince tour. Uh, Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I have to say I'm a huge fan of your music. Your work really resonates with me. Um, so I'm really pleased to get this opportunity to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I first became aware of your work with the Weber Morris Big Band. Um, but you've worked with a wide swath of brilliant musicians in contemporary jazz and improvised music. Um, and you have a really impressive discography with some really heavy artists. Um, what path did you take to become a part of those circles of musicians? Were you recognized right away as someone who would elevate a project? Oh, I don't think so. No, uh, <laughs> I think I worked pretty hard to get where I'm at. Um, yeah, I... I moved to New York in 2008 to do um, my master's degree in, in jazz performance. I went to Manhattan School of Music. Um, and I, at that point, wasn't really sure like what kind of music I think I wanted to be making. I mean, I knew jazz or improvised music, but I didn't really know which specific corner of the jazz world I wanted to be in. Um, I'd moved to Montreal, where I was making a lot of more experimental music. And then when I was at Manhattan School, it, it was a much more straight ahead kind of scene. Um, after I graduated from there, I, I took a year and was trying to figure out how to make a living in New York and found that kind of difficult. And I actually ended up moving to Berlin for a year. Um, and I did a second master's there in composition. And that's where I met um, John Hollenbeck, who's been an important person in my life, uh, drummer, composer, friend. Um, <clears throat> And so I was studying with him and sort of while I was in Berlin, both studying composition and also kind of surrounded by this pretty open experimental scene in Berlin that I sort of realized like, oh, I, I want to go into that direction. I want to be playing music that's a little bit off the beaten path, a little, uh, a little left of center. Um, so when I moved back to New York, I knew that I needed to, to go to Brooklyn because that's where the people that I wanted to play with were based. Um, and I knew that I, I just needed to do a bunch of sessions and kind of immerse myself. And, you know, I just started playing with people that I thought were cool. I learned all the music I could find. I, um, was writing my own music and would have people play my bands. Um, and, you know, slowly over several years of doing that, I feel like I formed relationships and, um, started to be involved in projects that I was really excited about. And yeah, so I, I feel like it's it's felt like a like a slow process for me, but I'm really happy with where I'm at these days. Well, I think given what I've seen of your discography for the last, I mean, you've kind of been doing it for 15 years or so. 
Mm -hmm. I'm super impressed by, you know, all the folks you've worked with and all the things you've accomplished in that time. Thank you. You said in an interview that you try to use sound and timbre as organizing forces that are as important as harmony, rhythm, and melody, which I think was also the conceptual framework for your recent release, Idiom. Yeah. Could you could you say more about that and how that plays out in the music that you compose and perform? Sure, yeah. Um, a few years ago, I was, I guess, just thinking about what I wanted to write next um, and kind of realized that I was, as an improviser, was was really interested in, um, I guess, that the saxophone is a creator of sound and not just pitches, you know, more extended technique stuff. Um, and that stuff was coming really naturally to me when I was improvising with people. But then when I would go to compose music, I was basically, you know, writing cool rhythms, cool harmonies, cool melodies. Um, or I thought they were cool. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I kind of recognized that there was a disconnect between those two. Um, they weren't, I mean, they were connected because they were both coming from me, but I, I felt like they could be closer together. And so... Um, basically I, I started thinking about my improvisatory language, the kinds of sounds and, and techniques that I was using, um, as an improviser and, and try to figure out how I could write pieces that use those things. And some of these things I'd kind of thought about trying to incorporate in compositions for a while, but had shied away from that because maybe I didn't feel like I knew enough or wasn't the right person to do that. Um, you know, like quarter tones, for example, I'd been playing around with microtonality since I was in grad school, like the first time. Um, and and was I enjoyed improvising with it, but kind of every time I would go to write a piece with it, it just felt like it was forced in. So I guess I, I just kind of realized that if I needed to make it feel natural and not like I was just forcing it in, that I really needed to sit and maybe maybe actually write music in a different way than I had been writing up until that point. Um, and I took a, took a while like to, to really, okay, I can't just do that. I have to like use this timbre, this sound as like the way that I'm going to compose the piece. And it, it took me a while to figure out like how to do that and how to do that comfortably. Um, so I, that was kind of how I, what I was thinking about when I wrote, um, the music on my record clockwise, which came out in 2019. Um, and Idiom sort of took that idea and took it a step further. Idiom being my record, my most recent album. Um, where with Clockwise, I was thinking about sound and timbre, and, um, but I was looking at it through the lens of uh, kind of analyzing mostly 20th century percussion music um, and thinking about, okay, you can clearly write music where there is no traditional like melody instrument or harmony instrument. So how does that work? How does that function? What are the, what are the building blocks of these pieces? But then when I was writing idiom, I was thinking specifically about me as a saxophone player, me as a flute player and the sounds that I was, that I, that I was drawn to. I'm also a composer, not at your level, of course. And so I, I um, battle with those, how to incorporate microtonality without mm -hmm. creating a score that's impossible to, for jazz musicians to read. You know, mm -hmm. So to to see it live and in person, it's, <laughs> it's very, very cool, very fascinating. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time when I'm notating microtonality, too, I'm not, I'm thinking, because I'm coming from the instrument first and not from something in the abstract, 
I'm trying to notate it in a way that really makes sense for the instrument. So sometimes that even means like not not using quarter tones as a as the way that I'm. I mean, quarter tones aren't the only form of microtonality, but you know, for example, not necessarily notating quarter tones, but maybe notating almost a tablature style thing. Like, how do you get that? How do you get that to sound on the saxophone? Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the conceptual constraint that you've established with your Shimmer Wince Quintet, the group that you'll be performing with at Cafe Coda. Um, I'm referring to just intonation. Mm-hmm. Could you give us a quick definition and maybe talk about how it constrains the music for this group, if it places any limitations on the music, or what advantages you get from using just an intonation? How does it make the music special? Yeah. Um, okay, so the, the basic definition is equal temperament, which is the system that we generally use these days. Um, that's how the piano is tuned. You divide the octave into 12 equal parts. That's actually a compromise um, that was sort of hard won over many centuries of trying to figure out how to how to get it to work. Um, just intonation is a much older system of of tuning that's based on the overtone series and like how notes naturally resonate. Like within any note, any given pitch, you have it contains all of its overtones as well, um, and that's the the prevalence of various certain overtones in a note is ver- versus other overtones. That's, that's what gives us timbre. Um, that's why some instruments sound different than another. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's one of the reasons. Uh, anyway, so just intonation is kind of this, you know, if you told people in a, a million years ago, maybe not that long, uh, to like, <laughs> to sing a certain interval, they would have tuned it using just intonation because that's, that's what feels like it's in tune to, to human ears. Um, and then you sort of have the whole history of like basically Western European classical music, which is trying to figure out how to get this to work so that we can modulate in cool ways and play in all 12 keys and have that work. And that's how Equal Temperament came about. That's sort of the short version. But just intonation is essentially using the overtone series to create harmonies and treating, treating tuning as somewhat relative um that it like why is it a 440 that's semi-arbitrary um or you know a c in relationship to that a can be many different things um is it a c that is tuned as if a is the root of a minor triad um is it a c that is tuned as if it's the seventh of a d7 chord um, there's just a bunch of different possibilities of tuning any note in relationship to another note. And that's kind of what just intonation is, is dealing with. That's the sound world. Um, I'd been interested in it for a while. Um, you know, going back to the idiom stuff, a lot, some of that music, I was, I was playing around with some basic concepts. There's also the concept of in just intonation, you're referring to, um, intervals as ratios because, uh, I, I don't know how in the in the weeds here I should be getting, but uh, <laughs> totally, totally up to you. But basically, you know, like I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, any any pitch has a frequency, um, and it, so any two pitches have two frequencies. Those can be seen as ratios of each other. Within the overtone series, each of those frequencies are multiples. So an octave 
if you have an octave, um, every octave is going to be double that the first frequency, or it'll keep doubling. Um, and that means any just intonation interval is actually a relatively simple ratio, or you know, simple compared to what it could be, which for most equal tempered ratios would be very, very complex. Um, so like a five to four ratio is that in frequencies, that's actually a, a just major third or a three to two ratio is a just perfect fifth. Um, and so I'd kind of heard about that a while ago and was really interested in that in terms of how it related to polyrhythm. Um, and, you know, if you, if you speed up a polyrhythm really fast, you, you do get an interval, <laughs> you get two pitches. Um, and so I was just sort of interested in that and had been playing around at that for a while. And I was definitely using some concepts based on that in idiom. Um, but when I started writing the music for this current project, Shimmer Wintz, I um, actually had a, a little residency in Berlin at this place called the American Academy Berlin. Um, I was there for three months in 2021 and was basically just doing research into just intonation. And that had been what I what I proposed to do there when um, I applied. I just wanted to like have some time to really sit down and, and learn what it was. Cause I'd been playing around with these ideas, but I didn't really feel like I had a good handle on like how it had been used historically, um, where it was coming from, how people have notated it in the past, how people are using it currently in composition. And also what are the possibilities for my instruments? Um, how and I wanted to also practice being able to hear specific intervals um, and not just hear, but also reproduce them on my own instruments. Um, so, yeah, I was basically listening to a lot, doing a lot of score study, um, taking little notes, writing very, very small sketches of things that could become pieces while I was there and thinking about the instruments that I might want to write for. Um, when I started composing the music that I knew I would be composing. Um, and something that I, that I think is pretty common practice with a lot of composers who are very deep into the just intonation world in sort of the new music part of it these days is um, people are writing very slow music. Uh, maybe drone is too specific, but like, you know, very slow moving, um, just like kind of the earth moving on its axis style, like here's an extra sonority now that comes in and now there's another sonority. Like a Pauline Oliveros kind of. Yeah. Vibe. And I mean, Pauline Oliveros was also, she was tuning her, her accordion in just intonation. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew I didn't want to write I didn't, you know, I was going to write my own music, which is not usually that. <laughs> um, so I wanted to figure out how to write fast music with just mm. intonation. Basically, mm -hmm. that was another consideration. Um, just thinking about, like, how do, how do I want to use it in a way that um, is another tool in my toolkit as a composer that fits within the world that I feel like I, I, I want to be in, um, that I want to be writing music in. Um, and just trying to figure out like what, what works for me, what doesn't work for me. Something that I think really works for me is being a little bit um, heretical with it, or I guess like non-purist, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. um, rather than treating it as this totally pure thing to be treated as very like 
I don't know, holy or something to be like, well, I really like that interval. That's cool. What if I play that interval and then I go straight into equal temperament after that? Or um, just kind of figuring out the little bits and pieces of it that work for me, which is maybe that's a, a kind of jack of all trade way of looking at it, but that's sort of maybe who I am as a composer. So um, that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. And then when I chose the people uh, to be who will be performing with me in Madison, I wanted people who were playing um, instruments that could be flexible with pitch. Um, so I have Adam O'Farrell playing trumpet. Um, and brass is built on just intonation. That's they're, they're always trying to correct for just intonation. Uh-huh. Um, so, so that was sort of a no-brainer. Um, and then Marielle Roberts, who's a cellist, who's a, um, she's a new music cellist, also a great improviser. And I knew that she had a lot of fluency with just intonation stuff. She'd played a lot of, with a lot of contemporary composers who were very deep into that world. So I knew she was going to be super um, confident with it and, and down to work on it. And then um, Elias Stamizator, who's playing synthesizer. Um, I actually, we're, we're old friends. And I, I knew that for somebody playing synthesizer in this band that I wasn't going to be able to program the synths myself. So I knew that I needed to work with somebody who was going to be down to take whatever weird ideas I had and figure out how to, how to put them into the synthesizer. So he, he did a lot of work to, to figure out how to like translate um, the tuning systems that I'd come up with into his, his synthesizer. Um, yeah, so I guess in terms of something that surprised me when I was writing all this music was how much more tonal it is than music that I've written in the past because it is harmony based. It's much more like chords uh, rather than, you know, maybe like dissonance and weird sounds. I think there's a lot of, you know, it sounds like my music, but um, I was definitely kind of almost surprised during the composition process, though pleasantly so um, in the, the direction that it, that this sort of language took me. Was that because of choices you made in the writing process? Like you're focusing on certain aspects of just intonation that were different from other kinds of, you know, scale harmonic series and so on. Yeah. I mean, I wanted it to be stuff that we could hear. Um, you can get pretty dissonant within the harmonic series, uh, pretty quick, but I, I didn't want to be giving anybody like a partial that was so high up in the harmonic series that it was sort of theoretical that they could hit it. I wanted it to all be stuff, that I could hear, which, you know, I basically was starting to learn this like two years ago. So um, for, I didn't, I didn't want to go higher than where I was at. Um, so for me, that's like 11th and 13th partials are kind of as much as I feel pretty confident being able to hit these days. Um, anyway, so, so I think that's kind of part of it was I, I was, I wanted to make it playable. Mm-hmm. And I think also just choosing a, a system to be sort of my constraining, uh, I guess, element for this set of music and having it be something that is like based on resonance. Right. Is it hard to switch in and out of that framework for different gigs? Actually, on the contrary, I think I think working on just intonation has made my intonation better in every single circumstance. Um, and it's kind of opened up a different a different like set of skills for me um, harmonically and, and help me to figure out like, Oh, if I want to get that kind of thing, I, I can do that. It's, it's pretty interesting. So everyone should do it. 
Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was interested and pleased in a way to hear you describe your education in composition as scrappy, <laughs> air quotes. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe because I relate to non-traditional avenues of education or, or by looking at what you've achieved thus far with a scrappy education, it gives others of us a hopeful glimpse into what's possible. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did go to a lot of school. So I don't know if I if I'm uh, full scrappy, but I definitely didn't have you know I didn't really do a degree in composition. I the the thing that I did in Berlin was I think that's how I was treating it. But even the piece of paper that I have from the school says it, jazz performance. So yeah, I mean I I definitely feel like I I've been pretty self directed and in, in terms of who I want to learn from and um, what books I want to read and what I'm trying to glean from things. So you didn't start at McGill focused on composition necessarily. You weren't a student of Alan Belkin's or something like that. Oh, no, 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 not at all. I mean, in fact, I think I, I was a jazz flute major at McGill. Uh, flute's my first instrument. And, and I was a woman. I still am a woman, obviously. Uh, um, but, you know, there was maybe like 10 women in the jazz performance program out of a hundred kids. And I think like both playing an instrument that I felt was like pretty easy to look down on um, in terms of it's like uh, strength, I guess. Um, And also being a woman in this situation that I think, you know, it's jazz school is notoriously tough on, on young women. Absolutely. Um, I felt like I needed to kind of, I wanted to be as good a performer as possible. And to me, it felt like if I was thinking about composition too seriously, that that would somehow take away from myself as a performer, which is, which is not true. But um, at the time, that's like the attitude that I was sort of being fed. um, And that's, that's what I wanted to do. So I, I was writing music in my undergrad, but I definitely was not thinking of myself as a composer. Um, and even through my master's degree too, I was always writing music. In fact, I was writing all these really like weirdo long form compositions and like nobody could play them. <laughs> we do these like performances. This is actually my undergrad too. We do like combo performances and like my piece would be seven pages long and <laughs> would be under rehearsed and I would, you know, never really get a good performance, but like, that's what I was writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you were at McGill, John Hollenbeck was not teaching there. No, no. But you then studied with him in Berlin. Um, also a huge fan of his work, amazing drummer and composer. We had uh, we hosted the Claudia Quintet here, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you find there's any difficulty for you to establish your own voice after studying and working with someone like John Hollenbeck? Yeah, I think it took me a second. Um, definitely, uh, you know, and, and then I started a band with him in it. Um, so there was that as well. Uh, but I think finding your own voice as a composer takes a lot more time than finding your voice as a performer anyway. And for me, especially because I, I feel like I started identifying as a composer, you know, maybe not later than most, but definitely later than, than some. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like you need years of experience on any instrument before you before you really like are sounding like yourself 
so I think when I first, you know, graduated from from Jazz Institute Berlin, um, where I'd been studying with John, and then, um, you know, in my first few years after that, I definitely felt like I was, you know, writing music that was heavily influenced by him, which it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think I. I made some comment to him recently about how I felt like my music was, you know, sounded like his. He's like, mm, no, it does. <laughs> it seems like Germany is attracting a number of American musicians. I know Jim Black lives there now. Mm-hmm. Andrew D'Angelo just relocated. There. Oh, did he? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, several Madison musicians have relocated there over the years. Scott Fields, the drummer Ray Kaczynski, who you may not know. Um, how did you like Berlin? Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, for me at, at that time, it was a great place to live. Uh, it's affordable, easy to get around. It's a very relaxed, big city with a diverse um, music scene uh, and just like a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of like cool young people. <laughs> so I was in my 20s. So, you know, that was that was cool. And I, I speak German, so that was also cool um, to be able to practice it and, and sort of bring it up to the next level when I was living there. There's there's just less and less money in, in Europe. I think there was sort of a golden, golden era at some point where every North American or American musician was able to go on tour to Europe all the time and, there was, mm-hmm. and come home with like enough money to pay rent for six months. And that's completely done. You know, now you're lucky if you get like a, a week tour and and you come home with like half of the rent you need for the month in your pocket um so i feel like but there's still money over there it's just that you have to pay a thousand dollars to get for your flight (laughs) um so i i actually feel like relocating to europe is a great way of uh having access to you know there's so many countries in a very small space you can kind of play in a bunch of different places all the time there's tons of great musicians over there um, you know, in many cases, like a lot of the cities are closer together than most of the cities in North America are. Um, and you're like in a different country all of a sudden. So I think it's a great, a great place to, to live. You're in Brooklyn now as a Canadian. Do you see the U.S. being your forever home? I married an American, so <laughs> I just got a green card. All right. Uh, as forever home as it can be, I guess. <laughs> Anna Weber, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. It's been really a pleasure to talk to you. Can't wait to see your uh, show at Cafe Coda coming up. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. It's been great to chat. That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is a composition by me, performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself, with special guest Sebastian Brennis on trombone. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Blue Stem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org and you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com.